0: This podcast is brought to you by Grandpa Still Remembers. Grandpa Paul's practical parables are part of his real-life experiences. What is learned from the life we live has a lot to do with the perspective that defines our priorities. What is remembered is colored by our perception of the purpose for which we have the privilege of living in the first place. Money, when examined over several years in what was once a year, gives an eloquent demonstration of the fleeting value of money. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. A young preacher was so instructed in the Bible. We have related how homemade Z-bills actually worked and how Zaire's devalued and failed, how paper notebooks remained unsold to become a better currency than that issued by the authorities. Replacing devalued money with new money resulted in having no money. That's where we left off in our currency discussion related to Mobutu's time of power in Zaire. News did arrive at Raythe that some of the new currency had actually been seen, but only the 100 Nouveau Zaire note. According to the published value, one such note was worth about three times the monthly wage of a typical worker in our area. It is easy to speculate that the priority of paying the soldiers was the reason that those notes appeared first. The main road was no longer passable to Kinshasa, so the money was flown a little at a time about 2,000 miles from the capital to Bunya. The 3,000-mile road through the Aturi forest was no longer passable anyway. No one spends a month's salary on beans. If a soldier brings a 100 niveau note to the marketplace and asks for beans, how can the seller make change? Taking a one Nouveau-Zaire note to the marketplace might have been reasonable, but since they hadn't yet come to our area, of course, it wasn't possible. It took quite a while for enough currency to show up, first the larger denominations, then slowly the smaller bills, and finally the one Nouveau-Zaire note. Initially, the smallest denomination would have been useful, but by the time it arrived, it had devalued to the point that very few were ever used. There was no way we could solve the absence of money the way Bob Zimmerman did in the remote, sparsely populated area around Bafuka about 30 years earlier. The most pressing problem facing us now was how to provide daily meals for 40 at the Raythe Academy when we had nothing with which to purchase the vegetables. The area around Raythe provided continuous perfect growing conditions for all garden vegetables. Ellen imported cans of Simla garden seeds from Kenya. She opened each can and measured the number of teaspoons full found in the can in order to calculate the price of each folded paper packet of the seeds. The veggie men grew any kind of seeds she sold, and we purchased the vegetables for the dorm, the Raleigh Station missionaries, and those at distant stations where no vegetables were available. So now how could we price the vegetables with no money? The vegetables continued to grow, and we all continued to eat. The price in the old Zaire's, using the exchange rate to U.S. dollars at that time, became our reference as listed on the latest station price list. Lanya had found an importer, Ukumu, from Ndrella, who helped us. He proved to be trustworthy, regularly traveling to Uganda to purchase whatever he could sell in Zaire. Ukumu was supplying paper for the press. We asked Ukumu to help us at the dorm as well. We had him buy salt, soap, and kerosene, thinking to use the barter system with the veggie men, exchanging salt and soap for vegetables. They, in turn, could exchange at the marketplace for other things they might need. Every veggie man who brought anything to the dorm weighed their produce with Hosea, and the weight and value was written on a small square piece of paper. Hosea delivered the cookie sheets with the papers laid out for all the veggie men. Ellen gave them salt and soap in exchange, but it was immediately evident that buttering would not work. The veggie men soon said they had enough salt and soap, asking if the mama could just keep track of their money for them. That is what Ellen did Soon she had over 50 different accounts in her notebook. How she kept all the men straight, I'll never know, but everyone trusted her. They trusted Hosea, who wrote down the men's names and the weight of what was purchased by the dorm. She kept each man's account in U.S. dollars and continued to feed all of us and sent vegetables to anyone who ordered them. MAF picked up over 400 kilos of vegetables twice a week. All weighed invoiced, sacked up, and tagged for each missionary. She kept track of any money that may have come in with the order and sent the invoices to the field treasurer for some of the larger buyers like MZM. She was called the Veggie Lady. Hosea, our head cook, and the top Veggie Man, with any growers who had brought in vegetables on any given day, all worked together to make it happen. Somehow the absence of money caused hardly a ripple in the veggie service. Things continued to be harvested. Ellen continued to get orders mostly through the radio, but often in the mail dropped off by MAF, addressed only to the veggie lady. The value of the veggies bought was added to the men's accounts. The biggest problem was that some people receiving the vegetables didn't return the empty sacks, Ellen had a set of shelves where she alphabetically sorted any sacks that showed up in the incoming mail carried by MAF. Some sacks never came back, and some came in with a tag that stayed with the sack, but those going to Banda or Asa would probably never return. It was a marvel that the vegetables even got to those hot, remote stations with the vegetables still edible. Since vegetables were such a treat to the missionaries, they carefully removed the rotted outer leaves from what was once dew-covered lettuce when placed in the sacks at Ravie. No wonder the sacks were forgotten. Sacks did come back with no name, and empty dorm sacks were also used, so fresh vegetables were flown out from Ravie each week. The Nouveau Zaire's really did exist, and we were eventually able to order Zaire's from the field treasurer. The actual use of the new currency in Bunya gave rise to several exchange rates between the U.S. dollar and the Nouveau Zaire. The bank rate was so low, no one wanted to give hard currency and get so few of the Nouveau Zaire's in exchange. The people still resisted using the 100 Nouveau Zaire note, and even the 50 Nouveau Zaire note because they might be left holding money others would not accept because of their inability to make change. The smaller notes were thus in higher demand because they were useful. How the field treasurer and the merchants worked out the details I can only guess, but the merchants still wanted U.S. dollar transfers and accumulated way more 100 Nouveau Zaire notes than they could use. The smaller bills could be used to pay their workmen and make purchases at the market. Our orders for money from our dorm account were thus delivered at two different exchange rates. How does one make change for the larger notes using the smaller notes, which cost more? At the market, four twenty 20 notes bought quite a bit more than one 100 nouveau bill did. Keeping accounts became quite a challenge. Each time we received an update on the exchange rates from the field treasurer, we cleared our cash accounts, calculating the cash value of the large and small bill we had on hand using the old exchange, then revaluing at the new exchange rates. We then entered the dollar exchange loss and absorbed it in the exchange loss account. The veggie men wanted Ellen to just keep their accounts in dollars in her notebook. She did for a while. Eventually, the currency devalued to the point where we no longer had to deal with the two exchange rates, and all the veggie men's accounts were paid off and closed. Changing to new currency did allow people to use smaller numbers when counting money, and things went back to the steady devaluation with which everyone was so familiar. It wasn't long before we heard that the soldiers weren't being paid and they took to a different method of getting what they needed. It was a sort of barter system. All they had was their guns and the remnants of their uniforms. The local contingent was living with their families in a small village halfway between Rethi and Quandrama. How would they trade what they had for food? Here is how it worked. Anyone who had to pass a soldier's camp on their way to the market was offered an opportunity to barter. In preparation for bartering, a soldier unrolled a sleeping mat on the ground and sat behind it, leaning against the bank with his gun across his knees. Carrying on her head a cloth-covered basket full of corn, a woman on her way to the market was called over to barter with the soldier. She didn't dare ignore the soldier holding his gun, sitting there with the mat in front of him. He offered her an opportunity to exchange some of her corn for the services he supplied in the area, keeping everyone safe. She carefully lowered the heavy basket to the ground and untied the cloth with which it was wrapped. The small, shallow dish inside was used to measure out the hard kernels, pour it out onto his mat, making a pile of white corn. She stopped and looked at him. He motioned for more. Another unsuspecting woman on her way to the marketplace failed to get by unnoticed, and the first woman quickly tied up her load when the soldier called the second one over. The barter system for safety was working. A man on a bicycle riding in the other direction must have let the approaching traders know what was going on near the soldier's camp because fewer and fewer sellers used the main road. Longer and longer routes were used to get to the market, and more and more bartering stations had to be set up. For the most part, the exchanges were peaceful. The soldiers, in order to maintain peace at home, deployed themselves at various locations around the marketplace to buy what their family needed. The people developed an efficient information system, helping each other get to the marketplace without having to pass the newest trading station. After trading his peacekeeping services for a kite bow, an unpaid soldier became so drunk that peace was lost. He offered a trade to a young unsuspecting bicyclist carrying a large fish from the lake to the quandrama market. Agreement was not reached, so the young man's fish and bicycle became the soldier's property in exchange for the young man's life. Other government employees weren't being paid either, so were looking for ways to offer their services to any who may not have wanted any service. The typical civil servant had some sort of official stamp to validate the documents he prepared. They needed to find someone who would be assessed a fine for failure to comply with the law. He could then establish the fine, collect the payment, and issue a valid receipt. The law known only by the official, were what he had to trade. The one needing the service had to have money in order to pay, so our local immigration official regularly inspected the missionary passports at Raythee. We were seen by him as a source of his wages, and he was looking diligently for infraction. We now had money again, but with the unpaid soldiers and civil servants. We were approaching having no government. The Bible says when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them. The source of true peace is Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Do not put your confidence in riches, nor trust the government, for it is better to trust the Lord than to put confidence in man. You've been listening to Paul's Parables, stories conveying a spiritual lesson from the perspective of a foreign culture.